are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. Well, this we're continuing this weekend our summer examination of the Ten Commandments. And specifically, uh, the commandments over the last few weeks that address our relationships with other people. So this weekend, we come to the Eighth Commandment that states emphatically in Exodus twenty fifteen, you shall not steal. Now, as we look at the retelling of this commandment by Moses, immediately before the people of Israel were to claim their new property in the promised land, we see in this command the reminder to respect and honor the rightful ownership of someone else's property. The New Living Translation clearly spells this out in Deuteronomy 5:19: you must not steal. And according to the law of Moses, it clearly states in Exodus 22, verse 3, anyone who steals must certainly make restitution. Now, you might not be real comfortable with that word restitution, but what it means is the restoration of something lost or stolen to its proper owner. Some synonyms mean return, restoration, handing back, surrender. Now, as we seek to internalize these commands and develop a biblical ethic for our hearts and for our personal lives, I want to make sure that I'm leading the way. Today, as we describe the importance of leaving the bandit life, I thought of if there's anything that I need to come clean about. Well, bandits typically have a bag, right? So, so I brought with me today a bag of some things that I needed to return, okay? Because I want to make sure that I'm living out what I'm preaching. So this week, as I read these scriptures and studied what it means to not steal, I went through my house, I went through my car, I went through my book bag, I went through my briefcase and my office drawers, and I want to return these. Now, if you don't see, didn't see what dropped out, these are the ink pens that I've taken from Southwest Church. See, I have this bad habit. I'll grab an ink pen here at church, and I'll take it with me, and I'll stick it in my pocket, put it in my backpack or whatever, and then I go home, and it ends up in my car or in a drawer there. And my wife tells me all the time, you need to return these pens. And I don't know. So then as I'm preaching on this this weekend, I thought I need to make sure that I do my part. Now, I want to make sure I clear something up, okay? Uh, By the way, Lee, who's helped order these pins, he's thinking, no wonder they left so quick, okay? Roger had them all. But I want to be clear about something here because I didn't think about the ramifications of my illustration. After first hour, the, the, the people that were ushers came up to me and they said, Roger, we want you to know in the offering bag were a lot of ink pens. So, I'm not necessarily asking you to return them. In fact, really the reason why we put the logo and everything on there uh, is so that if you lose them outside this building, maybe somebody else will find them and they'll find us. So you don't necessarily have to return them. But I felt like I needed to do my part. Now, you know, just 
Another example of how I'm trying to clear my conscience this week and, and how I need to, to wrestle with this teaching this weekend. On Friday night, I was at a friend's house, and it was a cookout, a number of people from Southwest here, and, and we're just sitting around the table talking about various things. We're talking about movies we'd seen recently or, or TV series we'd seen on, you know, uh, maybe that were on Netflix or whatever, and, and we're talking about that, and I, I brought up, I said, you know, my son and his family stayed with us for a couple months while they were waiting to move in to their new house, and I said, they installed Netflix on our TV, and and uh, my wife and I have got hooked. We, we didn't have Netflix before. And I know some of you think, man, get in the 21st century, but we didn't have it. And, and so uh, I said, we discovered this series of, of uh, it's like, uh, I don't know what you call it, but it, it's called The Crown, okay? And has anybody else seen The Crown about the, okay, I, I'm really getting into royal history, okay, uh, of British royal history. But anyways, and, and I said, you know, Eventually, we're going to take it off our TV, but we're really hooked on this series, The Crown. And then abruptly, I thought rudely, somebody interrupted me and said, Roger, what are you preaching on this weekend? I said, you must not steal. So they all laughed, and I, my feelings were hurt. But anyways, uh, uh, I just wanted to let you know, my wife and I talked about it, you know, we're going to make sure that we, we start paying for Netflix uh, next month. Okay, so... We're going to try to finish the crown, but, but seriously, it's, it's really easy, isn't it, to rationalize certain practices in our lives where we look around and see other people doing it and we think, it's not a big deal. I mean, everybody does that. But I think a better question for us is we wrestle with this command this weekend, those practices maybe that we've rationalized, is it right? Is it honest? And is it actually stealing someone else's property? Is it honoring them and is it honoring God? A number of years ago, I did a, an honest, searching, and fearless moral inventory of my past life in it. And when it came to stealing, something came to my mind that I never really had dealt with. I thought back to when I was in high school and I ran cross country, and yes, there was a time I ran long distance, but that's way in the past. But it was, I was on the cross country team, and we had these lightweight cross country shorts that were just great. I mean, it was easy to run in, and um, I think all of us seniors just decided we were going to keep them. And years later, I thought, you know, that was stealing. And I thought, you know, after, after a couple decades... I thought, okay, they've changed those uniforms probably several times, okay? But I thought, what would be the right thing for me to do? What would be restitution? So I wrote a letter to the athletic director of my high school, and I sent a check in. Now, I, I, even as I wrote it, I thought they're probably going to chuckle. Somebody graduated many years ago is sending a check, but I just thought, you know, they could buy a couple more uniforms. I just felt like it was the right thing to do. How about you? Is there something in your mind that you've justified, maybe stealing from school or work or your company or the government? And in your mind, you've, you've told yourself, well, everyone else does it. And yet the better question, again, is it right? 
And is God possibly calling you to make it right, to make restitution? Instead of taking the rest of our time talking about maybe the more obvious ways that we could be stealing physical, intellectual, or electronic property from our school, our office, our workplace, or the government, you can fill in the blank. I'd like to take the rest of our time by examining some more subtle ways that we can be stealing from another that maybe we've never thought about it in that way. And yet, Scripture points to that. So, ask yourself, are you stealing from? Our first blank is work. Now, obviously, if you're stealing property or money from the workplace, then that's wrong and that needs to be corrected. And yet, let's look at a Bible verse that maybe you've never considered about the workplace before. It's found in the Law of Moses. It's found in a book called Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 25, this is what the people of Israel were told. You must use accurate scales when you weigh out merchandise, and you must use full and honest measures. Yes, always use honest weights and measures so that you may enjoy a long life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now, possibly this description of scales and weights doesn't resonate with you, and you're like, what's that got to do with stealing? Well, let me share with you what I learned. One commentator, maybe some of you wonder, why does he, why does he put on the screen the commentator and the name of the person that said it? Because I want you to know that as I research this stuff, I, I don't want to be guilty of stealing somebody else's words. I want to make sure that when I take a quote from somebody that I don't just stand up here and act like I came up with this or uh, knew this uh, because actually I'm not that smart. I just try to read a lot of smart people, okay, what they have to say. And this guy named Gary Hall said this. He said, a dishonest merchant in that day would have two different weights, a light one for selling the produce and a heavy one for buying it. Do you get that? Depending on whether it was going in or out, depending on which scale or which weight they used. Likewise, a large or small jar would be used in the same way. You see, in the selling and buying of product, merchandise, or property, there needs to be honesty and truthfulness in all the transactions and the record-keeping. Now, for those of you who make your living in the world of sales, marketing, or financial transactions, I my hat's off to you. I just, I don't think I could do that. I'm just always amazed at somebody that their livelihood is based on what they might sell that month. And, and I just admire you for your courage and your ability to do that. And yet, as you consider this eighth commandment and the specific application for your life, are you using honest weights and measures? For those of you who fill out sales reports, mileage reports, expense reports, and inventory reports, are you being honest and above board on all your reporting? Or have you found yourself fudging or padding the numbers and thinking to yourself, well, everyone else is doing it? In the New Testament, we see this clear call to make sure that we internalize the Eighth Commandment and instead replace it with something else. Not only an ethic of the heart, but a work ethic. In Ephesians 4.28, it says, Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer. 
but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. You see, followers of Jesus are called to have a work ethic where they don't try to cut corners and make up for it through dishonesty, but they just work hard and are honest in all of their dealings. You see, as followers of Jesus, we're called to be head, heart, and hands followers. We talk about that, how that head means you've made a decision to surrender and follow Jesus and his teachings. You've made that conscious decision. The heart says, I want to be changed by Jesus. I want to be different because of the teachings of Jesus. And the hands-on, in practical ways, you're living that out in your daily life, being a witness to others of your faith in Jesus. Later in that same book of the Bible, we read this in Ephesians 6, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Now, let me just make a comment before we apply this passage. Uh, I totally reject the views that some have used in the past to say that in some way God ordained slavery. I don't believe that. But I do believe that that the Bible is so practical that it applies to whatever life circumstance you might be in. And through the past 2,000 years of Christianity, unfortunately, there's been far too often human slavery occurring. And for the, the person that's a Christian that finds themselves in that you know, despicable situation, they're still called to have a good attitude and to work wholeheartedly realizing that their true master is in heaven. Now, if that's true for the slave, how much more so those of us who receive a paycheck? Now, I know you might think, well, my my boss is a taskmaster. He's a slave driver. Well, really? I mean, if slaves were called to have a good attitude and work with all their heart, how about you? Now, I understand that sometimes we find ourselves working a job or in a season in our career that it's tough. And yet I believe that we're still called to have the right heart, the right work ethic in that setting. You see, a number of years ago, I... uh, when I was in college, I, I worked in a stone quarry shoveling rock. I mean, that was a tough job. I think my dad got that for me just so to make sure I'd go back to college every fall. And it worked, okay? Uh, because I didn't want to continue to work in the stone quarries of southern Indiana. And then, you know, uh, when I got out of college, I was a teacher. And, and I loved high school teaching. But one year, I taught junior high. And I mean, that was... That was tough. Literally, I had a calendar in the desk that every day I'd pull it out and mark off the day, one more day closer to summer. But the truth of it is I was still getting a paycheck. And so as a Christian, I I knew that even though I didn't enjoy that job, even though that wasn't a good fit for me, I needed to serve God with my whole heart. I wasn't serving my principal. I was serving God the Lord. Now, question for you. Have you been giving your whole heart to your work? 
Or have you been simply mailing it in lately? Maybe you've never thought about it, but are you stealing from the company because you're not giving your best? Now, in all fairness, this this works both ways. For those of us who employ others, let's make the application to our lives of what was said to first century slave owners. In Ephesians 6, 9, he says, and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. And then a little bit later in the New Testament, this very little practical book called James, written by James, we find these words. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. So obviously the call for employers and business owners and bosses to make sure that those who work for you are fairly fairly compensated and rightly compensated. And yet some of you might say, well, I'm, I'm a manager. I don't have anything to say about their pay. Well, but do you have something to say about the work environment they live in? How about the compliments you've paid them lately? The words of encouragement. You see, you can decide how you're going to treat them and treat them fairly. See, this past week, our ministry staff went to a a two-day leadership conference, and it was really good. And one of the speakers, Craig Groeschel, said this. He says, never rob your team members of the blessing of knowing that you notice and that you care. If you're a manager, if a supervisor or a business owner, are, are you robbing the people that work for you of the opportunity to know that you care about them and that you notice when they work hard and they're doing a good job? He went on to go on to say how that there was a research company that came in and they, they, they surveyed a workplace and they surveyed all the managers and they asked them this question in the survey. How, what percentage of the time do you give words of encouragement to the people that work for you? You know what the bosses, the supervisors said? They said, 80% of the time I'm encouraging. Then they flipped it and they asked those that were being supervised, what percentage of the time does your manager encourage you? You know what they answered? 20% of the time. You see, it's real easy to think we're encouraging, but the other person doesn't feel that. Now, that principle, I think, would work at home as well. He, he, he went on to say, Craig Rochelle, the speaker, he says, appreciate others more than you think you should, and then double it. And I thought, that's a good, that's a good philosophy for life. Appreciate those around you more than you think you should, and then double it. And maybe they'll get up to 40% of the time in their minds that you're being an encouraging and supporting supervisor. You know, one of the challenges of taking a staff that you're working with to a leadership retreat is they hear the same message as you do. And during that message, I thought, I wonder what the staff here at Southwest that I'm supervising, wonder what they're thinking. I'm looking forward to this week's staff meeting because I'm going to ask them, what percentage of the time do they feel like I'm encouraging them and building them up? Or do they feel like instead I'm 
just kind of going through the motions. Let's make sure at work that we don't rob from others. Another crucial area that makes sure we aren't being abandoned is in our relationships with family members. In the fifth and seventh commandment, we talked about the importance of honoring our parents, and last week, our spouses, our future spouse. And yet, we're also called to take care of everyone in our household. The early Christians were reminded in 1 Timothy, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. In the same book of the Bible, we're told that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Or is the, I like how the Message Bible puts it this way. Lust for money brings trouble and nothing but trouble. Going down that path, some lose their footing in the faith completely and live to regret it bitterly ever after. You know, as we wrestle with the truth of this Bible verse, I think for those of us that maybe find ourselves at times working more hours than maybe we should, we find ourselves really dedicated at work and we're putting in a lot of hours, we have to ask ourselves, is our love for money, our love for the sale, our love for a work achievement, our love of professional success, has it led us down a path that's led us to rob time from our family members, from our spouses, from our children, even for some of us, our grandchildren? Are we robbing from them valuable time they need because we're preoccupied with work? Sometimes you can do that even when you're home because you're thinking about a challenge at work and you're not plugged in and you're robbing from others the attention that they need. You know, married couples, make sure you don't rob yourself of an opportunity to to come to our marriage night coming up September 7th. Get a dose of encouragement, inspiration for you to keep growing in your marriage. Now, someone who loves their job, I, I love my job. In fact, I don't even call it a job. It's a calling. I love it. But, you know, I've got to make sure that I put parameters and and healthy boundaries, and I struggle with that sometimes, to be honest. Because I can find myself working, 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 getting involved in this ministry, this outreach thing, and i got to make sure that I protect time with my wife, my children, and other family members that need. I want to make sure that I don't rob from them. Don't fall into the lie that at times I was tempted to believe. It's not about quantity, it's quality, you know? The truth is told, for those of us who have children, they need both, quantity and quality. And for someone that's now an empty nester, I can let you know, you'll blink and those kids will be out of your home. Are you robbing from them valuable time they need in their formation in life? Are you stealing from them the time you need to be investing in family relationships? For the follower of Jesus, not only do we have a physical family, but we have a spiritual family. So, our third blank is the church. Are you robbing or stealing from the church? Now, you might say, well, I didn't, I didn't grab into the offering basket and take some money out. That, but think about this for a minute. You see, It's real easy in our American culture to become a consumer in our mindset when it comes to church. We can come to a church service like this, 
and we go away grading it and evaluating other people's work. I didn't really like that song or the preacher went too long. Of course, that never happens here. But, you know, and, and you might think, find yourself being critical of other people's work, falling into that consumer mindset. I want to flip it this week and say, what are you contributing to the life of this church? How are you contributing to make this church stronger and healthier? How are you contributing so that this church can continue to grow and live out our mission of following Jesus and making disciples? Jesus taught in one of his parables this very important life principle. To those who use well what they're given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. You know, when I look out in this audience every weekend, I'm amazed how much talent there is in this congregation. And how many, what Jesus would say, 10 talent people we have been blessed with here at Southwest. And I know that because when I talk to you and find out your education, I find out what you're doing in your career, I'm like, wow, that, that's amazing. You're a very talented person, so many of you, as I look out. And yet, are you simply using those talents in the workplace? Or have you asked yourself, how can I be a contributor to the church? And I'm just not talking about money here. I'm talking about using your time and your talents to make a difference. I'm so grateful because we have a number of people that do that. You see that on the weekends where they're using their music talent or their artistic talent or in the children's ministry, their teaching talent. I'm grateful for those who use their construction talent. This showed up in one of our children's classrooms. Somebody built that. I thought, that's, that's cool. I'm grateful for those who have hospitality talent. You know, Jennifer Harbour just took over uh, leadership of our first impressions ministry and I, I've been encouraged by the way she's bringing her hospitality talent to the table. You know, she, we've been giving out uh, bags for those that are new to Southwest. And if you're new this weekend, I want to encourage you. This week we're transitioning from a bag to a box, okay? So we talked about in the past, if you see somebody with a bag, that means they're new, and go up and introduce yourself to them. But now it's a box, okay? And uh, she did some things to redesign our welcome area, but, but she's using her hospitality gifts and talents to make a difference. And I love this, this box. It says, we're glad you're here. Uh, that's good. That's good. But, you know, we've been talking about over the last few months about the importance of us all utilizing and practicing hospitality to reach out to others here in the church that you haven't yet met. Now, maybe this is their first Sunday or maybe it's their hundredth Sunday, but either way, you can say, I'm glad you're here and I want to meet you. Let's all do our part and make sure that we don't just come on the weekends to be a consumer, but that we look for ways we can contribute. And finally, and I think most importantly, let's make sure that we aren't robbing from God. You might say, well, how do I rob from God? Well, it's interesting. There was this prophet that taught and wrote down Scripture before Jesus came to the earth. In fact, he was the last one that we've got recorded in the Old Testament portion of the Bible, a guy named Malachi. 
Listen to what he had to say about how we could rob from God. In Malachi 3, verse 8, he says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Now, honestly, we don't talk a lot about money here at Southwest. In fact, our leadership team would probably like for me to talk about it a little bit more. And yet, we do want to be a church that's faithful in giving our best to God in all areas of our life, whether it be at work, in our families, whether it be in utilizing our talents and gifts in the life of the church to be contributors, but also in the area of our finances. My wife and I, when we were newlyweds, we made a commitment to give a tithe, 10% of our income back to God through the local church. And I, I have to share with you that there were times when we were young parents with small children and it seemed like the expenses just kept growing, that it was a test. It truly was a test some weeks to write that that tithe check. You know, my, I'm a, I, I get a check from the church, but I give 10% of it back to the church. My wife's a nurse. One week we give 10% of my weekly pay, next week we give Jane's pay. And, and that's how we have done it for years. And even though at times it's been a stretch, even though at times it's been tough, you know what? As we've looked back on our life, God has just truly come through with His promise here. He says, test me on this and see if I won't just pour open the floodgates of heaven. Now, I can't tell you that that's always been in the, in the form of a, a windfall of money or something like that. Sometimes it's the intangible ways, like washers and dryers that last for 20-some years. And we're like, wow, cars that last in an amazing way. When we bought cheap junkers for our kids and how they lost, lasted them all the way through high school and college, sometimes held together by a thread. It was amazing. And and my wife and I look at each other and just say, wow, God just keeps blessing us. You might say that's a coincidence. I think it's God fulfilling His promises. You know, as a church family, we want to also make sure that we're not robbing from God. For a number of years, we said we're going to give 10% of what we collect on the weekends back out to mission. But you know what? For years, we didn't have the faith to really test God. And so sometimes we'd fall just a little short. We'd give 8% of the annual offerings or 9%. About five years ago, we said, you know what? We need to be an example to the rest of the church. And we just said, even if it means we don't make some other payments, we're going to give 10% back to local, national, or international missions. You know what? It seemed like from that point on, God has just poured out blessing after blessing on us as a church. The most recent example of this was in July. We said, we're going to take our mission giving, 10% of what comes in in July, we're going to give it towards school supplies for kids locally that have needs. And so we, we figured up 
calculated about what that would be. And we said, that'll pay for the supplies, but, but we need some help with the book bag. So we put the word out to you guys with just a couple weeks. Would you bring a book bag so that we can give it to a local child in need? We set a goal of 60 book bags. You know how much was given? Almost 130. Isn't that amazing? And then we met in the leadership team. We said, well, we only had enough money to fill 60. What are we going to do? We said, well, sounds like another month's going to fill the next 70, okay? And that's what we're going to do because we said God provided we're going to go out on faith. How about you? Are you taking God at his word? Are you testing him? Are you putting your faith in him that if you give your first fruits to him, that he will take care of you? Or have you been robbing God? Now, here's the thing. If you read Malachi 3 closely, I think who really gets robbed when somebody doesn't step up and take that faith step of tithing, they rob themselves. They rob themselves of how God wants to pour blessing after blessing into their life. Don't rob yourself of the rich life of faith that God wants you to have. Why does God call us to be generous? Because he's a generous God. We don't have to look any farther than what we celebrate every weekend here at Southwest, and that's communion to be reminded of how generous our God is. He is so generous that he gave his son, he gave his best, sent him to earth to be mistreated and to die for us so that we could have a relationship with him. And then he calls us to live a life of generosity in response to his generosity. Why? So that when others see his people, they can see his generosity reflected to them. Let's not rob God of our best. Let's not rob God at work. Let's not rob God in our family. Let's not, let's not rob God in our participation in the life of the church. Let's not rob God from our finances because God's a generous God. And during communion, I, I think it's a great time for us just to reflect on the generosity of God and how He has given so much to us. Let's allow this time of communion just to be a time where our hearts are filled with gratitude for what God has given us in Jesus Christ, His His love, His sacrifice. But then think of the other ways that God has poured out blessings into your life. Allow this to be a time of gratitude and thanksgiving. And then also allow this to be a time to propel us into a week where we live generously toward others. Let's reflect the Father's love through our life. Let's not rob God. Let's not rob ourselves of the life that God's called us to live. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you. We thank you for your Son and and how, how freely he gave of himself so that we could have a relationship with you and how you gave your son. We, we, we're blown away by that, that love. Help us this, during this time of communion, Lord, help us just to have hearts filled with gratitude.
for Jesus' life and love and sacrifice. And help us, Father, to respond in an appropriate way with a resolve, a determination to reflect your love to others and to reflect your generosity to those around us. Show us, Father, how to reflect you to a world that needs to know you desperately. We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray.